Well, I'll tell you what, when, when folks are singing up here, you all get to see them, but I get to see the parents as they watch their kiddos sing. That was beautiful. Reed, Diego, music ministry choirs, thank you so much. Well, recently, recently I've been doing a little bit of reading about the importance of sleep. <laughs> and the role that sleep serves. Good, deep sleep and rest is essential for us to perform at our best. There are, there are actually all sorts of unseen processes that are, that are going on underneath the surface while we sleep. They're going on in our bodies. The brain consolidates and, and stores new, new memories. Nerve cells communicate and, and reorganize, supporting healthy brain function. Cell repair is, is happening. Our bodies work to repair muscles and organs and chemicals that strengthen our immune system. They start to circulate in the blood. And this is, this is all happening unseen underneath the surface, but the effects, the effects manifest themselves in very real and tangible ways. One of the effects of, of poor sleep, of lack of rest, is that our brains send out signals in the form of high-level stress hormones. If we, if we continue without rest, the, the constant flow of these hormones will create a a white noise effect that increases anxiety, blocks clear thinking, and the processing of information. It becomes impossible to function the way that we're supposed to function. Perhaps some of you have experienced some of that before. In this week's scripture, Paul is teaching his Roman audience that without the work of the Spirit in our lives, it's impossible for us to live the way that God desires. And so if the Spirit is essential, how do we know if, in fact, the Spirit is at work? I mean, this is some abstract stuff, right? I mean, this is work that's happening underneath the surface, unseen, just like sleep. And just like sleep, the work of the Spirit will manifest itself in tangible and very real and seen ways in our lives. I invite you to turn to our scripture this morning in the Bibles that you've brought with you from home, your mobile devices, or the Bibles you'll find in your pews. We're reading from Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 8, verses 5 through 11. Paul writes, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And for this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, 
Though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. As we prepare to dig into today's scripture, there's a distinction that I, that I would like to make. I want to talk about the difference between these two words, between the difference, excuse me, the difference between description and prescription. What is the difference? Well, description provides information about something as it is. Description is, by its very nature, objective, sort of separate. It makes, it makes no moral or subjective claim. Whereas prescription typically describes the way something should happen. For example, a, a descriptive dictionary works hard to describe what words communicate. It's not concerned whether a word is actually a word. Right? A prescriptive dictionary seeks to identify those things that are settled upon words. Going further, I want to describe what happens when, when one of our spring break tourist friends fails to put on sunscreen and spends the day outside. Perhaps you've noticed some of these friends lately. I may say that, that I have seen the results of poor judgment resulting in beet red skin and discomfort because of the UV rays emitted by the sun after prolonged periods. Skin uncovered at the beach causes sunburn. It's simply what happens. The, though the sunburn may feel like punishment, it's not. It's simply what happens as a result of prolonged periods in the sun without covering or sunscreen. And, and this is what is meant by descriptive. Whether you get sunburn or not is, is not a conversation of any real consequence. It's going to happen. Alternatively, if you choose to park here out on Las Olas and fail to pay for your parking, there is a prescribed punishment should you get caught. You get that privilege of as you walk up, you can see that white envelope with the City of Fort Lauderdale logo already tucked under your windshield wiper, communicating to you that that $6 loaf of bread you hope to run in and quickly pick up at Grand Forno now costs you $36. However, you might get lucky. And though I might say you should have gotten a ticket for not, allow, uh, for, for not following the rules, it's certainly far from a sure thing. And we could argue about whether or not the fine is fair or, or whether it was right or wrong that you did or did not receive a ticket. The fine, the ticket, they're a prescription for the behavior of choosing not to pay for your parking. It is not descriptive. Does that distinction make sense? I think a lot of the time, we tend to read Scripture as prescriptive when it's intended to be read as descriptive. That is, we, we often read consequences for certain behaviors as, as God's punishment for sin. 
for any list of behaviors, really, when the reality is that Scripture simply seeks to describe the natural consequences of breaking with the way that God has created us to live. The consequences are as natural as a bad sunburn. Let's walk through a a thought experiment together. I'd like you to consider some time, perhaps recently, perhaps it was a long time ago, where you consciously chose to do what you knew you weren't supposed to do. Perhaps it was an untruth that you told. Perhaps it was misleading someone in in order to get your way. Maybe it was an unkind word about about someone. Maybe you didn't do what you said you were going to do or you didn't show up for someone. You know, I can only... Let me say this, I think one of the challenging things about this conversation about the Spirit is it's really abstract, and so we are often talking from personal experience, and so I'm going to share a personal experience of mine. When I was 16 years old, a good friend of mine and I went to purchase fireworks. We picked out all kinds of, of bottle rockets and Roman candles and firecrackers, and we actually picked out twice the amount that we'd originally intended because There were giant signs that said, two for one. Well, once we had loaded our cart with with all of these items, we got to the front of the store where the checkout was located, and to our surprise, there was no one there. And we looked around. We made eye contact. Never said a word. One of us went. The other went. And out we went. I've never told anyone this before. I may get a talking to after this from my folks. No punishment was ever prescribed, and yet the sting of this, though we laugh, still sits with me. What is that about? Friends, when we break with the way that God has created us to live, there is something, there is some damage that we do. I I, I did my master's program online, and so the exams were, were unproctored. But I can remember our Christian doctrine professor telling us, don't cheat. Not because of the unfair advantage that you'll get, but because of the damage that you'll do to your soul. Friends, our scripture this morning is intended to describe what happens when we break with how God has created us to live. And and what Paul is seeking to describe here is this conflict that's, that's going on in each of us. And Paul labels the two sides of this conflict as flesh and spirit, or in some places, the world. And, and spirit. And what I want to say first is that Paul is not saying that the physical world is evil. We get, tend to, to get misled in this, and I think there's been a view propagated in Christianity in the West the last couple of hundred years that, where we've reduced the spiritual life to trying to get away 
and out of this world. Poet and farmer Wendell Berry references this in his book, The Unsettling of America. Hear this. He says, For many of the churchly, the life of the Spirit is reduced to a dull preoccupation with getting to heaven. Students, this is not why you're joining the church. It's not for a free pass to heaven. He goes on to say, The separation of the soul from the body and from the world is no disease of the fringe, no aberration, but a fracture that runs through the mentality of institutional religion like a geological fault. And this rift in the mentality of religion continues to characterize the modern mind no matter how secular or worldly it becomes. This dualistic way of thinking, of separating out the world as evil and the spirit is good, runs through popular culture as well as religious circles. And this is not what Paul is saying. What Paul is trying to say is, in this conversation about the flesh and the spirit, it's, it's not about our bodies being evil and the spirit being good, but rather it's about a difference of worldview, a differing of perspective. It's about motivation. Paul wants you to be aware what is going on underneath the surface. What is motivating your decisions? What is driving you in the way that you live? Listen to verse 5 again. He says, For those who live according to the flesh and set their minds on the things of the flesh... But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Or perhaps it's better understood, those who have their minds set on what the flesh desires live according to the flesh. But those who have their minds set on what the Spirit desires live according to the Spirit. It's a worldview that's set upon simply meeting the desires of the body versus one that's attentive to the Spirit of God. It's the difference between being self-centered and other-centered. In this way, our lives become a direct representation of whatever is going on underneath the surface. You know self-centered people And you know this is true. Now, unfortunately, it's a struggle. It's not a one-and-done wrestling match. Just like one night of good sleep doesn't mean that we no longer need sleep. Learning to live according to the Spirit is something we spend our entire lives learning to do. So what gets in the way? Well, I think one of the things that gets in the way is our belief in self-sufficiency. This idea that, and there are a number of cliches that say this, but how about you can do anything you set your mind to? That is not true. (laughs) It's not true. And yet, we tell ourselves this, we try and teach our students this, Paul would simply say, no, you can't, and he would tell you it's good news. He would say, you can do anything you were created to do. Our confirmation students under Chandler and John's leadership have spent the last few months digging into the tenets of their faith, examining, among other things, the book of confessions, this compilation of beliefs, of how 
People like us have wrestled for 2,000 years with who God has created us to be. The Westminster Shorter Catechism opens by asking the question, what is the chief end of humanity? And the answer is given to glorify God and enjoy God forever. Friends, we glorify God by becoming the people that God has created us to be. In our scripture last week, Jesus glorified God by healing the blind man. Jesus glorified God by being Jesus. So what are the gifts that God has given you? What are the gifts that God has given you? Maybe they're artistic gifts. Maybe one of the gifts, one of the ways that you glorify God is by beautifying the world around you. Maybe you're a healer. Maybe you have an instinctive, high emotional IQ. You can tell who in the room is hurting. You can feel the Spirit nudging when you need to go sit down next to someone, when someone needs you to put your arm around them. Friends, this week, I want you to pay attention to how the Spirit of God is urging you to move, to live, to act. Because although this is admittedly abstract, I believe we know when it's happening, when God is moving in us. Our students, as we read, wrote a confession of their own. And our students defined the Spirit as God living inside you. This is not prescriptive. This is a descriptive statement. God is living inside you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.